Greetings, friends, in the living rooms of America and freedom-loving, free-market, industrialized nations beyond. It est, those of you permitted by your rulers to keep an electronic numerical integrator or any of the binary control data mainframes, we bid you welcome to this, your podcast tutorial entry for this day in history, wherever that may be, as the 1947 project sets the way kooky device back to the year of the Holland Tunnel and the Japanese Metro. Yes, one way or another, we're making our way to the crime-tastic year of 19... 27! To see what types of terror, what manner of mayhem, what what's-it of weirdness awaits. So without further ado, here's your ringleader of doom, that willowy sprite of evil herself, Kim Cooper! Willowy with fangs, I hope. Why, of course. <laughs> Gee, it's nice to see you all again. You know, we're about a week late, but it is the holiday season, and it's awfully hard to get crime bloggers in one place when they're sweaty. There are reasons for this. <laughs> But here we are. <laughs> no, um, the, the good Mr. Richard has created some sort of wind tunnel effect in the kitchen that is making it almost pleasant here in the abode. And uh, so here we are again, the 1947 Project bloggers who would be myself, Kim Cooper, and... And uh, the uh, sweaty blogger Nathan Marset. You can get me anywhere when I'm sweaty, but that's, that's beside the <laughs> You're hard to catch, though, like a greasy <laughs> pig. We'll get to that later. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And the lovely, glowing Mary McCoy. Listening, <laughs> glowing, whatever women do. They glow. They always glow. This is Joan. I'm glowing, too. I don't know how lovely I am, but I am glowing. Oh, no. Yes, you, I do. You, I don't know you, don't I? Yes, I do. There's something about crime that just makes the sweat smell mm, bloody. <laughs> <laughs> and so with no further ado, let's jump into a few of the stories that we've been blogging on the last couple of weeks. Yes. Stories with that, that tinny odor that we've come to love. Yes. Uh, we've, we've kind of taken a break from the usual tale of alcoholic mayhem and uh, mm -hmm. gotten into some more wacky human interest stories. Uh, but in, in Mary's case, you actually found a... A murder almost worthy of a uh, mystery novel. Yes, this is a case that really smells a little more like smoke than blood. Uh, George Furlan doused his entire business in gasoline. The business was located at 1681 East Manchester, and then he left the scene. And then he had hired a 21-year-old named Walter Scala to come and light the whole place on fire. And it was there an ad in the paper for that? Hmm? Was there an ad in the paper for that? <laughs> no, but actually Scala was his second choice. Huh. Um, mm. That's the way I found out that um, Scala probably only was given a couple hundred dollars to do it because at Furlan's trial, which I'll get to momentarily, someone mm. testified that, uh, that um, Furlan had also tried to get him to do the job and had offered him $300 for it. Mm. So Scala lights the place mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't go so well for him. He gets caught in the blaze and dies shortly thereafter. So he didn't testify. He didn't testify. No. He was in no shape for testifying, although he did kind of give some damning evidence before he died. <sighs> Named Nay. Oh. It's the future! Uh, <laughs> How dare it! <laughs> May I? Hang on a moment, folks. Nothing I hate like the future. Hang on, that was uh, President that was Herbert Hoover calling from the future. <laughs> that was jarring. <laughs> Boy, was he pissed. <laughs> that won't happen was, again. Is he going to warn us about the... Uh, we don't want to know about it. No. no. So where were we? Uh, you dead men we? tell no tales. That's yes. what we were. Yes. yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, was the, that was the present. <laughs> but, but the pressing question. The pressing question is, can a person be guilty of murder if he wished the man no harm and was a mile away when it happened? Mm. 
a thinker. A thinker. Well, enough people thought so that he was arrested, um, charged with murder. And uh, this was actually under a little used California statute that if a person was conspiring to commit a crime and someone was indirectly killed during commission of that crime, then the person who conspired was guilty of their murder. So, Sounds fair to me and confusing. The judge yeah. thought the whole thing was a farce. He told the jury to throw out the, uh, throw out the, the murder charge and just to consider the arson and the burning insured property charges. But the jury felt that, um, that Ferlin was morally guilty of, in uh, Scala's death and they convicted him of murder. This happened in 1925. Um, this sort of dragged through the state Supreme Court and the district court and everything for a couple of years. And it was on June 27, 1927, that the court finally ruled that Furlan was entitled to a new trial on the murder charge. And the murder charge was eventually disregarded. So, not disregarded, dismissed, that's different. <laughs> Disregarded. An important case in California jurisprudence. Yes, it was. And uh, from there, I think we'll go to something a little more lighthearted, a, a girl stowaway. Yes. That Joan found in her research. Yeah, history. this was great. I found her. This is Rose Host. And Rose was I, she, I was, I was drawn to Rose because she was one of those plucky young things. And what she did, mm -hmm. she, actually, she was very gutsy. She was uh, young, 1920-ish. And she had a fight with her father. Ripe for plucking. Yes, mm -hmm. ripe for plucking. And she was, she had a fight with her dad, and she thought, well, she wanted to go to Hollywood and be an actress. Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> and so she thought, okay, I'm running away from home. I'm going to stow away on an ocean liner bound for Los Angeles, which is what she did. She left with the clothes on her back, and she had a dollar and a quarter. But while she was waiting to stow away on the SS Manchuria, she spent 75 cents on a book of Emerson's essays, which I thought was kind of a romantic Poetry thing to do. Yes, it really does. And I thought, oh, how, how cute of Rose. There's some depth to this girl. Mm -hmm. So she did stow away, but she came clean. She must have had a conscience or just was just fear. And she told, she, she, she copped to it. She said, look, I'm sorry, I'm stowing away. Well, she must have appealed in some way to mm -hmm. the captain. I, I like to think she just broke down in tears and didn't do a striptease. And she, she said, look, you know, I'm, I'm really some sorry. Sort of I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to stow away. She actually did mean to stow away, but the, the captain was a nice guy, and he said, okay, fine. I'll tell you what. If you'll stamp some passenger forms for the purser, you can earn your fare. So well, that's, that's what like she the did. equivalent of washing dishes. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound that well, hard to me. She was a pretty girl. She was a beauty contest winner in her uh, home state of New York. Uh, so I think the tears and her lovely fresh face was enough to sway the captain. No one likes he, to see a pretty girl in tears. No, they really don't. Some he people do, actually. Well, yeah, but we won't talk about <coughs> them. And no. so, <laughs> I know. So, of course not. Never. And so, anyway, Rose arrived, and it was such a nice little human interest story that, of course, a, a picture of Rose appeared with a little article about her dreams and you know, how she wanted to, you know, make it in Hollywood and everything. So I thought, okay, that was sort of the end of the story as it was, but I thought, well, what happened to Rose? Did she go on then to be in movies? So I looked ahead a little bit, and about six months later, Rose appears in a photograph, although barely. It looks like she was drawn in, you know, in those crime scene things, sometimes they'll draw like the shape, the outline of a body. Mm. That's how Rose appears in this photo. It's like she's just drawn in with this guy named Jack Luden. And that's the movie is Shootin' Irons. Okay, yeah. so I thought, okay, this is this is kind of interesting. Rose's career never takes off after this film. This is it. She's uncredited. 
that that's the end of Rose House. And I thought, well, who's this guy, Jack? So I looked Jack up, and Jack's story was really compelling. He was um, an heir to the Luden's cough drop fortune. An uncle of his started the company, but he wanted to be an actor, and he seemed to have seemed to have a little of the bad boy. Well, he seemed to have a lot of the bad boy <laughs> in him, and so he was. He decided he was going to be in movies. Well, he'd been in a few films before shooting shooting irons, and the studio, his studio, thought, well, you know, we're going to start featuring him in westerns like they were doing with Gary Cooper with, you know, a good deal of success. But uh, Jack either walked away from his contract or they let him go, and he just sort of drops off the map. The rumor was that he had a really bad Jones. He was a heroin addict. Ah, yes. And cough drops aren't enough. No. (laughs) We've all been there. No, sometimes they're just not, and you need to hit it, and that's it. So poor Jack. Anyway, Jack disappeared. Uh, for all intents and purposes, from about 1930 to 1936. We can, I think, imagine Jack's life in those six years, but he resurfaced mm-hmm. in the 40s, tries to do a little bit more with the movies, you know, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work out, he's got a really bad monkey on his back. So bad he's monkey. Bad, bad monkey. I thought, I, I said like Cheetah on steroids. I like the mm-hmm. fact that Cheetah's still alive. Um, <laughs> there's a plucky monkey. <laughs> so, so Cheetah, no, Cheetah's not a part of the story. So Jack, although he is now, Jack. Oh, there's a plucky monkey. There's a plucky monkey. monkey. I like that. So poor Jack. Anyway, he, he, he was just having a dreadful time, wasn't making it in the movies. And what happens was, I like the, like I said, I like the bad boy in Jack. And he was, he was quoted as saying, a crooked buck. Oh, what, Nathan? Do you think Rose liked the bad boy? You know, I was thinking, because I had pictured Rose just sort of snapping to her senses, realizing that this shallow Hollywood thing was not for her, and becoming an English professor, and taking her love of Emerson to eager undergraduates, rather than being turned out by Jack as a heroin slut. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was not, because she was so so fresh-faced in the picture. I thought, no, this can't be for Kate. They start that way. They really do. Yeah, I mean, you know, and shredded tattered lace and I just didn't want that picture of Rose in my head so I I put her in my mind she went off to you know Vassar or something she's teaching (laughs) undergrads so but Jack on the other hand um was some of of my favorite little uh, heroin sluts are Vassar girls well exactly or Cliffies you know well there was just plucky monkeys plucky monkeys monkeys, and there was a lot of heroin addiction well there's a lot of addiction in general in that time right after this the first world war and whatnot you could get uh, all kinds of opiates and derivatives, laudanum. It was just a, a veritable, mm-hmm. I know, a veritable carnicopia. So what becomes our bad boy? Okay, our bad boy says, um, a crooked buck is sweeter than an honest dollar. <laughs> so Jack was an unrepentant sinner. Ends up, Sweet. poor Jack. I, I, but I like Jack. I really do. I, you, like, I can tell. I really do. Yeah. I feel something for him. He reminds you know, me of somebody. Here, <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I really does. Only I, uh, my friend had. It's about the, about the same fate, only not in San Quentin. Um, so poor Jack, in about 1951, he gets busted for, you know, for possession of a narcotic and for passing bad checks. And he's about nine months into his sentence in San Quentin, and he just goes face down, heart attack, 49 years old. I thought that was so sad. So the, I thought, I like the, the two Hollywood stories. Neither person ended up, I think, how they... Land, although maybe Jack did, but I think they didn't, and it was just kind of interesting because I still have that picture of Rose in my head, you know, quoting Emerson. I'm going to think of them the next time I have a cough drop. Well, and the next time, you know, that I 
get a hold of any opiates, I'll be thinking of Jack. I was very fond of Jack. Oh. I was very, I really, really liked it. It was the bad yeah. boy that just broke And I'm going to think of uh, Emerson next time I'm slamming some white. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. A touching tale. You girls, you love that so bad boy, don't you? I really do. Now, you know, we've been talking about plucky monkeys, but there have been many chicken references so far, and I think we might as well just give it up. You know they're let's, waiting. Let's give it up to the... I do want to say, though, you know, the last time I, uh, the last time I stowed away on an ocean liner to, uh, to get off the boat, I had to pretend I was uh, Marie Chevalier. <laughs> Swear <just> <laughs> I've seen that Marx Brothers film. What, what Marx Brothers It happened to me. I was with these three other guys... And uh, fortunately, Chevalier was on the boat, and I, and I caught his passport. Oh, the they sing like you. They sing much sweeter than they do. Oh, you brother, you kind of love to me. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We don't charge any extra for the musical portion of the other day. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We've stepped on many copyrights. Okay. And that really hurts. <laughs> I'm going to go to some of the reference. I wasn't going to say, but let's go on to uh, June 24th, 1927. It was in Monterey Park, and um, yeah, Officer uh, T.J. Neal is uh, cruising along when he espies some rather uh, plucky gentlemen <laughs> themselves, <laughs> who have, uh, they are uh, Yasio Tavare and uh, Issa Magana and Daniel Garcia, who are cruising along uh, there in Monterey Park uh, in their little coop with their, um, well, their, their, their bags all sticky with with that, that teeny odor of blood. So there's a little blood involved tonight. And some feathers. Hmm. And a headless chicken! <laughs> <laughs> a headless chicken! A headless chicken, you say? Well, it isn't every day that you're riding along with a, with a headless chicken. So they, uh, they, they get popped for this, and they get hauled up in front of police judge F.F. Uh, F. Guayano uh, on that fine day in 1927. And they plead not guilty. And the judge says, uh, not guilty? Well, you got, the, you got the headless chicken in your car. And they say, well... The chicken was hopping along the road with its head off, and it just jumped into the car. It's like, it followed me home, Mom. <laughs> you know, and which, which, which I buy because, you know, normally you don't take rides with strangers, but especially these, you know, these three men who are obviously up to no good, but if you've got no head, you can't really see who you're jumping in a car with. It could be a friend. And it could be a it could be a, a nice clown. Yeah, you wouldn't be For thinking. For example, they're always they're always uh, doing good works uh, <laughs> in the neighborhood. Well, anyway, the judge decided that the uh, the chicken was hopping along the road with no head and jumped into the car wasn't uh, wasn't enough of a uh, of an excuse. So he gave them the uh, the even though the other the other two uh, corroborated the story, he gave them the ten days in jail for uh, for chicken ruffling and one, head and head removal. Just one chicken. Ten days in jail for it, one. You know chicken. what? That's that's what you get. You know, actually, I think it's one chicken or a thousand chickens. You still get the still get the ten days. Um, so uh, that's why you should always steal a thousand chickens. Right. Um, something to remember the next time you're in Monterey Park. Mm -hmm. What uh, What gets me is that uh, is that they only stole the one the one chicken. They just you. I would I would expect more from uh, you know. Lucio and, and Isa and, and Daniel, but uh, chickens were bigger back then. They, they just weren't real go-getters. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's what they bigger. don't mention. Is, is I did a little more digging into the case. It was eight hundred and seventy pounds. A prize yeah. chicken. I mean, that's why they had to take off its head. The head alone was, uh, you know, as big as a Buick. Sure. <laughs> and that's the story of the headless chicken that was hopping along the road and jumped into the car of uh, a 
these, these three folks. Well, you know, that is the nice thing about a chicken, is you can take the top of the head off, and it'll still live. Yeah, so you can feed it through a little... It'll hop around, and it'll, it'll do stuff, it'll, it'll knit, it'll, it'll play tennis. I mean, it's got a terrible <laughs> backhand, tennis. but, you know. It's good forth for bridge. Let's talk about marriage. Let's. You know, I'm a newlywed. You are? I am. Um... You know, we, we came up with a story on, on June 21st that reminded me of that wonderful Raymond Chandler quote about when the hot winds come up, as, as they have. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, uh, you know, meek little wives feel the edge of the carving knife and study their husband's necks. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. I've done that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what wife hasn't? <laughs> this was a story from Pasadena, a 50-year-old lady named Mrs. Catherine Dwyer. Apparently, she had some mental problems, and on this particular day in 1927, she'd simply had enough. And so while her husband, George, who was a Pacific Electric Railway gateway man, was standing at the sink eating his lunch, perhaps she thought, I'm sick to death of this man eating his lunch at the sink. I'm really not sure why she did it, but around she came with a razor, and she slit his throat. And he fell down, and he was gasping and gurgling and doing what one does when... You've got a sandwich half out of your mouth and blood and <laughs> windpipe and... Oh, yes, exactly like that. So uh, they had a housekeeper, Miss Slade, and she came running out and found the lady of the house with the bloody <laughs> razor in her hands and, the, Hi. And, 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 and George flopping around. And she, she screamed for help from, her, from their neighbor. Um, and uh, that was Mr. Spiegel, also named George. Uh, from a couple doors down, he came to help. And, uh, you know, darned if... A local police officer, A.O. Boyd, didn't arrive on the scene just in time to see all of them struggling with the crazy lady. And this was fortunately enough to immediately cause her to be placed in the psychopathic ward, because clearly her husband was not in any state to make any kind of declaration about her need for for care and aid. So she went down to General Hospital, and uh, as for George, he went to the hospital too. He was in very, very bad shape at the time the story was reported, and uh, it was said that he might die. There was no follow-up, so I'm not sure if he did. Apparently, um, Mrs. Dwyer had had long had mental problems, but she'd never been violent before, but they'd had an especially difficult argument about their daughter, and uh, I guess it was just more than she could take. Oh, what had the daughter done? We don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes these stories are just, just, they're just enough to suggest the novel. If Raymond Chandler were still around, he might let us know what the daughter had done. And, and then uh, just the ne- very next day, we had a wonderful divorce case. Uh, a lady named Grace Haynes was living out on a ranch, and she came into town specifically to seek her freedom from her husband, Amos. She had a pretty good reason for wanting to be divorced. You know, back then, you couldn't just get divorced for anything. You had to have cause. Uh, cruelty, extreme cruelty, always a good cause, and... Um, in Grace's case, she well, said that... Gals well, are always whining about something. Oh, yeah. We're impossible. Extreme cruelty this. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, Amos didn't actually beat her. He didn't whip her. He didn't steal her money. He didn't pull her hair out by the roots. But what he did do was drink cough syrup until he was demented. <laughs> <laughs> Go out into the barn and beat the hell out of their swine. Oh, there's no excuse. Okay, yeah, yeah. Popped up on cough syrup. I, <laughs> it's annoying. I grant that to be divorce myself. others who. <laughs> well, you know, pigs do scream, yeah. and I guess she just could not take it anymore. So she yeah. came into town, and Judge Boron, we we know him, of course. Oh, Fletcher. Oh, Fletcher. Yeah. Yes. Later, our mayor. Uh, he was fascinated by this case, and he continued it till the next day, wanting to hear more about these accusations. But before the the end of the court day, uh, Amos got up and he said that this was all a bunch of malarkey and that actually he would be happy to take his wife back if Grace would just stop running around at night. Mm. So, 
do we have friends? Do we have a wild woman, or do we or have maybe a, she has a swine friends. beater? I, I <laughs> really don't know. We could have both. I swear, mm. we could do this whole year of the 1947 project just divorces and suicides. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 we could. Maybe we'll have just, you know, a suicide of the week. Or... Wait, maybe she was running <laughs> around with the swine, mm. and that's why you beat them. Maybe, maybe they're both culpable in their own special way. Honey, I'm sleeping in the barn today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it'll be fine. I'll you be hear okay. those squeals. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> they're close to humans. Okay. <laughs> Whoa, what's that smell? Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, it's the fish I shove down my pants every morning. Oh my gosh, Crybo's here. Is that a cod piece? Oh! <laughs> Man, I walked into that one. <laughs> what a stinker. Oh, what a stinker. Holy mackerel. There's nothing worse than a bearded clown with a fish in his beard. Oh! Nothing worse. <laughs> And now, a word from our sponsor. Oh, that's right. We, we have a new, uh, <clears throat> we have a new advertiser. Let's see. We've got the, uh, the big reel-to-reel here. Let's hook it up. <clears throat> Press play. <clears throat> the state of American bewonderment was known for the repulsively titanic, her skyscrapers, magnificent dams, giant dirigibles. Well, fall to Roland Fooey do these showy shows of showiness, the true hallmark of our marvelous age comes now from the amazing science of miniaturization. And you, the American consumer of entertaining entertainments, can partake in miniaturization today through the magic of golf. Yes, golf. Scientists have succeeded in miniaturizing golf here in Los Angeles, California, and the beneficent industrialists behind them invite you to partake in these wondrous pleasures beyond all human imagination and reasoning. Golf in miniature. Can you believe it? You cannot! You must see it for yourself at Floyd Elberfeld's Lily Puttian Mini Stroke Tiny Golfatorium. That is correct. Tiny golf. All the undulations, contours, moguls, water, sand, and vegetation traps of the greatest greens in the world in heart-stopping, soul-crushing miniature. Our meandering streams and waterfalls and beautiful fountain features stand tooth to jowl with wondrous recreations of today's most marvelous miniaturized, mechanized, motorized monstrosities. The very essence of your being will rearrange itself into a vorticistic future when you put your way through unbelievable obstacles. As for but one example, the scaled-down White House. Your reason to live will be reborn as you put your ball twixt the dainty ankles of Grace Coolidge. And then you will gasp in horror and amazement as Rebecca the First Raccoon steals your ball for her own nefarious purposes. You will put through the military rebellion in Lisbon, the Kuomintang execution of communist workers in Shanghai, Navigate the great earthquake of Yugoslavia, float your ball across the great Mississippi flood, and see if your ball isn't electrified along with other golfing orbs representing filthy Italian anarchists. Then, drive your ball through a canal representing the very birth canal through which traveled recently born Mstislav Rostropovich, to whom we are certain shall become a great cellist. Yes, your life had no meaning until we allowed you to tap into the universal Tom Thumb and release your infernal pent-up gaiety at... Floyd Elberfeld's Lilliputian Mini-Stroke Tiny Golfatorium, located far away from the noise and terror of the city, at the corner of Sawtell and Olympic Boulevards. Motor there immediately, or understand not the possibilities of joy to be had in miniature. Oh my God! Golf! <laughs> oh my God! That was great! Yeah, that's that was awesome. awesome. Man, you wrote that. That's awesome. How did you get them to advertise with us? I heard they were spending no money at all. And 
What are you talking about? They have those beneficent uh, industrialists uh, behind them with monocles and the shiny top heads and the ascots and the, and the bags of money. What are you the thinking? balls. <laughs> everywhere. The balls, balls, balls. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, this miniaturization is going to take over the world. Well, you know, I... I Okay, here I was thinking that I, we only had a few things to recommend in our 1927 calendar of upcoming events, and yet it seems to me we could go every night to the Lily Pot. <laughs> what is it? Uh, it's um, Floyd Elberfeld's Lily Puttian Mini Stroke Tiny Golfatorium. Lily Puttian, yes, yes. Oh, I get it. It's kind of like Lily Pad, too. Uh, I'm just going to go there every night. I mean, I, I there, know. There, it. Is there anything better to do on this God's Green Earth? The dainty ankles of Grace Coolidge. (laughs) Yes. I've never heard them called dainty before, and yet... They're actually kind of ham hocks, truth be told, but uh, we we built them as dainty for the the course now. Miss Mary, can I ask you to perhaps read to us the uh, other events of 1927? Oh, certainly. (laughs) Well, this series started on July 5th, but you can still catch it midway, um, an epic battle for last place in the Pacific Coast League. Oscar Vitt's Hollywood stars will take on Marty Krug's Angels in a nine-game Civil War series. Ooh. Just down the street, uh, no, not down the street at all, 42nd and Avalon, uh, Wrigley Field. Did you know Los Angeles had a Wrigley Field? Oh. Yeah. In the theaters, the rejuvenation of Aunt Mary <laughs> at Broadway Palace on Broadway between 6th and 7th. May Robson will be reprising her stage role in this lively romp about a loaded eccentric who plans to leave 20% of her estate to one nephew and 80% to the other. The 80% nephew is actually played by a man named Harrison Ford. Hmm. So that's how it happened. Wait, so, yeah. she's, so she gets loaded, eh? Is that the rejuvenation <laughs> yeah, part? <laughs> Just like drinking all that tan lax. Well, that happens later, yeah. oh. the, uh, the rejuvenation mm-hmm. part. But... Um, Anyhow, he's uh, wrangled the greater share of the estate by convincing Aunt Mary that he's a physician, although he's actually a race car driver. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Get your head around just that. Just go with it. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Hilarity Harrison ensues. Ford needs a new agent. <laughs> of course, hilarity ensues when she decides to, to visit what she believes to be his sanatorium. Uh, in ways I can't begin to imagine, this triggers a chain of events that somehow leads to a thrilling racetrack climax wherein Aunt Mary moonlights as a pit mechanic. <laughs> I smell remake. I think it would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm going. Dame Judi Dench is Aunt Mary. <laughs> Wacky pit mechanic. Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford as who? I can't remember the nephew's name. Mm. 80% nephew. As 80% nephew. <laughs> and finally, this is the event I'm really excited about. July 15th, if you are a sucker for the uh, boxing manager past his prime, comes out of retirement. Oh, gosh, one yes. one last shot at the big time FX tool, million dollar baby, that kind of thing. Come on down to the Hollywood American Legion Station on Friday as middleweights Mark Judge and Everett Strong duke it out. Although the pugilists are evenly matched, Judge is favored to win, due in part to his second, the famed lightweight-turned-trainer-manager-cut-man-Spider-Kelly. The name like Spider, he's got to be good. Yeah. Spider-Kelly once saw Jack Dempsey get his clock cleaned at a fight, turned to his, the guy sitting next to him and said, that guy's going to be a star. Hooked him up with his manager, and within two years, Dempsey would win his first heavyweight title. Spider was once considered the greatest second a fighter could have in his corner. And, uh, but he's, he's got, got eight arms. Yeah. yeah. He spent the last few years living in Tucson for his health. He's not well. Mm-hmm. He's uh, actually, he'll be 
dead by November. Uh, not to give anything away. Uh, but, um, except for yes. everything. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyhow, I'm not going to tell you how the fight comes out, but can Spider Kelly still pick a fighter? Is Judge a match for Kelly's, no, Strong's quirking good right hand? Be there Friday and see for yourselves. Yeah. I'll be there. I'll be there on my way to uh, the Lily... Yes. The Lily right. the Pudding Tiny Golf Autorium. I will, I will. Excellent. In Out in the bean fields of South Illinois. Mm. And now, before we return to the future, let us enjoy the past. And now, a word from our other sponsor. Ladies, are you worried about your dinner table? Do you worry that your family is getting anything short of the best? Do you fret that the meals your loved ones ingest may be tainted with the odious influence of low morals and pernicious evils? Your new neighbors with the funny names may content themselves with feeding their family's food tainted with impurities. But not you. You feed your kin Ku Klux Clams. Yes, Ku Klux Clams are the delicious path to nurture, bred and packaged without the influence of undesirables of whom we are certain you are aware, dear listener. Ku Klux Clams. Why, yes, an oyster may have a pearl in it, but isn't there something sneaky about tempting you with the chance of filthy lucre? Ku Klux Clams. Light a fiery cross of kindling beneath them for a warm treat. Treat yourself to the wholesome purity of Ku Klux Clams, proudly non-kosher. Purchase Ku Klux Clams at all the better establishments and try our Leo Franks and Beans. I don't think they'll be advertising with us again. <laughs> Have they heard the show? <laughs> what is wrong with the... This is a nice advertiser. They paid good money. We should, we should let them have it. I, are you sure they paid money? There's a bunch of clams in the kitchen. I'm not saying we shouldn't... Uh, Okay, so I'm not eating the goddamn clams. <laughs> okay, Stan Freebird, what's going on here in, in the year 2007? You know, I want you kids to get out of the house. It's hot, and there's air conditioning outside. That's right. Oh, yes. And let's start tomorrow, Saturday, July 7th. Oh, my God, now they know when we're recording. They're going to come to the house and kill us. Um, it's old Fort MacArthur days, and it's the military timeline. That's right. Living history enactments from ancient Rome to the present day. Iraq? Wait, are you actually going to put this... On the on tomorrow. This this tomorrow? is this is in San San Pedro. I'm not doing this. No no no. I mean, are you actually going to put this on the web tomorrow so that people will get this and then go tomorrow? Will you stop breaking the third wall? <laughs> Sorry. I know there's four, but leave the third wall alone. Uh, okay, so that's that's because they're doing seven. a really good thing tomorrow, and, and everyone should go do it. If uh, should anyone actually hear what this, what is that? They're doing a uh, part of the uh, uh, days tomorrow. Is they're doing a uh, 1932 themed uh, bunch of guys dressing up like bums. And they're doing a bonus march, march oh. like against you know uh, who, who, who went down there and beat up all the bonus marchers? Was it uh, yeah. what's his face? Yeah, the general. Pershing, right? Pershing, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, Pershing. and he went down there with his like oh. saber yeah. and started like. He started beating like, like, yeah. Sorry, it was, oh, no, it was this millennia. Yeah, oh, no. yeah exactly. So that's anyway, where you went wrong. so that th that's part of the whole reenactment yeah. camp down there is uh, uh, bonus marchers. And are, you, are you participating in this? I'm thinking of going down. I gotta say. It's going to be extra, extra kooky. Well, well, I'll see you there. See you there. I'll see all of our listening audience there. Mm -hmm. Through my eye holes. And we'll be enjoying some delicious Ku Klux Klams. Mm. What does a clam sound like? That's <laughs> yeah, pretty close. <laughs> uh, then on the Let me put my finger in it for a second. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mommy. Ow! <laughs> on the Damn, 12th of July, that would be July the 12th, over at Book Soup on the Sunset Strip, our old buddy Dominic Priori presenting and signing from his brand new Riot on Sunset Strip, Rock and Roll's Last Stand in 60s Hollywood. This is the book that's becoming the tour. Yeah, so Turek's going to be getting this on the road pretty soon. It's uh, got an introduction by Arthur Lee, written shortly before he passed over to the far side of the universe. And um, There's even more love. It, it's, it's all about just how, between 1965 and 66, the entire fulcrum of American culture became this wonderful, musical, social, exploding thing that just infiltrated absolutely everything. Yeah. And it's all about how Bob Dylan needed the birds more than the birds needed Bob Dylan. Mm. So, you know, you want to go down and hear Dominic talk. Dominic knows his stuff. He's really a... Basically, if there's, if, yeah, if there's a butterfly flapping its wings in, like... The Sea Witch know, Club. Like, yeah. Manila right now. And I'm not referring to the clans, just for Manila. It's because, like, of the exact square footage of, like, the Pandora's box. Oh, you know it. Yeah. So, so. Go, go, go down to the old book soup in the evening on the 12th. And um, on the 14th, I know where I'll be. Joe. And where would that be? Well, are you going to join me at the chain link fence opposite the Mugs Away Saloon in Laguna Niguel? I've never resisted a chain link fence in my life. Well, you better be ready I, to I pull be your pants down. <laughs> you better be ready to pull your own pants down. It is hot in here. The annual mooning of Amtrak. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> I can definitely do that. I got two of them to give them. Uh, <laughs> two moons. Anyone for a chorus if there's a moon out yeah. tonight? We no. always do that. Not again. Apparently it started in 1979. Uh, K.T. Smith was drinking in the Mugs Away Saloon and decided to offer a free drink to anyone who would run across the street and moon the next Amtrak train to pass by. Many people did. It became a tradition, a very expensive one. Uh, now place, takes place on the second Saturday of every July. Enthusiastic mooners congregate across the road from Mugs Away and bear their bottoms at the passing trains. The trains mm. then slow down. Giving passengers an opportunity to moon back. Oh, you, know, I, you know, it's just it's a special thing. Maybe we should actually ride the train. It might be a there little more go. fun. <laughs> and uh, after 8 p.m., night mooning starts with torches and lanterns night on the mooning. fence. Nothing makes my posterior look finer than a backlight from a candle. <laughs> oh, That's absolutely. what Harrell said. So you want to go to moonamtrack.org to learn more I'm about this. I might be good at the night moon. Especially after eating a lot of Indian skin. food. I was just thinking that. <laughs> and I think that my buttocks would glow in the dark. But you know, you might Ooh. want to... <laughs> Very light skin. Well, you know. You don't know. Yeah. I, my, my grandpa said a night moon would be good. My face, I don't mind it because I'm behind it. There you go. So who knows? Hmm. hmm. But you might want to actually cross over to Pennsylvania because there's something going on also on the 14th that uh, I believe Nathan will be sharing with us. Well, on the 14th, of course, is Bastille Day. We storm the Bastille. You see, the Bastille Day Street Festival, between 2 and 5, you want to, want, you want to be at the Eastern State Penitentiary. Now, for those of us out there in, uh, near Philadelphia, you know who you are, mm -hmm. even though you're not going to admit it. You know who you are. And then you're going to want to storm at 5.30. Do it. Now, each July, the storming of the Bastille is remembered with a reenactment at Philadelphia's Eastern State Penitentiary. Now, during the day, the old prison is open, as usual. But at 5.30, the grim walls are stormed by the armed troops of the Revolution! Marie Antoinette tosses sweets from the tower and let them eat cake-eating bitch. But then, I know what you're thinking, let them eat rock. And, yes, the upper crust will play. And the reenactors of the old Fort Mifflin Historical Society lay siege to the prison! After capturing the rogue monarch, they drag her to a real functioning guillotine. <gasps> That's right. And then the crowds decide her fate. Well, kids, what do you think? I'm going to be there and I'm going to decide. Yeah. Oh, off 
with her head. I'm holding the basket. <laughs> yeah. I'm holding her head up afterwards, and I'm going to see if, like, you know, the eyes, like, go back and forth because there's so much air in the brain. Oh, it's Fate, always a trick. It, the basket's full of candy. It's all true. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be wearing my robe. They'll call me robes. Pierre. Oh. Oh. Anyway, anyway, after the victory of the revolution, the penitentiary re- re- reopens for uh, for evening tours, which are about twenty minutes. Um, blah 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 blah. It's a big Bastille Day neighborhood party, so everybody go. It's gonna be fantastique and and oh. in, incredible, incredible. I'll be wearing my uh, tricornets. Good times. Merde. Merde. I'm starting to think. Vive la merde. Next year we should do this at the Lincoln Heights Jail. Next year we will do this at the Lincoln, and we'll storm the jail. Next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. Well, we're in the Lincoln Heights Jail. Same day, Workman Temple. Ticket to the 20s weekend. Workman Temple Homestead. Oh, Homestead. It's actually very pretty. Enjoy a variety of music, dancing, silent film, screaming. Screamings? Screamings! No, that's silent screaming, which sounds like this. Fashion, crafts, demos, historic house tours, exhibits, and more. With appearances from Mora's Modern Rhythmists. Rhythm, it's rhythm, rhythm, Maura's modern, they, they shake it up real good. They're and really good. Janet Klein good. and her parlor boys and Grimaldi. And uh, that would be, if you go to the homesteadmuseum.org, you can find out more about that. The LA Conservancy is offering an event called Location, Location, Location. LA City Hall in the movies. And that is Sunday the 15th from 10 to 2 on a timed entry. Join us, they say. Join me. Join you? Are yeah. You, are, are you I, a docent? I, I will be a docent there. Oh, okay. Yay! Yes, yes, come up and say hello. I'll be there at... Uh, doing our part. I'll be doing, yes, I'll be doing the morning shift. I'll be there from about 10 o'clock or 9.30, whatever. And I will be in the um, city council heads. chambers. Excellent. Yes. And what are a few of the films you'll be talking about? I won't be talking about a single film, but <laughs> the author of the book... Um, what is the Harry Medved? Yes. <gasps> oh my God, Harry Medved from the Golden Turkey Awards? Yay! He oh. will be speaking about uh, that, and they're going to talk about locations, and I'm hoping that... And locations and locations. Locations and more locations. They're everywhere, no matter where you go. There you are. And so I will be there, so come up and say hello. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. I love friend. City Hall. I thought they collaborated. Oh, yeah. Medveds. We love City Hall. We do love City Hall. And hey, what year was uh, City Hall going up? Nice, surprisingly, uh-huh. and they've been making it an absolutely gruesome green lately. Have you seen that? I have not. Yeah. It's supposed to be for you know the environment, but it just looks like Emerald City to me. They're making it green. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, they're making City Hall green. The environment. They're using light. The environment oh, okay. blows, but I like the poppies. <laughs> the Emerald City. They knew what was up. They planted some good stuff. And then just a few more things. Yeah, I got some of that stuff. Come <laughs> on. As, as July rolls into its inevitable conclusion. Because time does go on, no matter what we do. Time marches on. So do the bonus marchers. Oh, hello, kitty. What a terrible mess you're making. <laughs> Cats destroy everything. They do, they do. And <laughs> my chair is broken. Um, well, finally, 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 we have been waiting at the Velaslavase Panorama. Oh, the Velaslavase Panorama. You can say it, baby. Ooh. I can just say Panorama. And you can just spray it. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! Kitties. Don't um, tell me the Velaslavase Panorama is finally opening down at the corner of 24th and Newark. Why, yes. This is, this is well, the greatest yes. news of all time. It is the effulgence of the north, the grand unveiling, an alpine spectacular, an evening of alpine spectacle, and a 360 degrees arctic panorama. Wow. 
$12 for regular human beings, $10 for students and members at the door or online well, from panoramaonview.org. Neither of those things. <laughs> Dear friends and neighbors, it is with great excitement and only a little trepidation that we announce to you the grand unveiling of our greatest achievement thus far, an Arctic panorama taking the visitor to frozen heights to bear witness to the mysterious phenomenon of the Aurora Borealis. Mm -hmm. Entitled Effulgence of the North, this frigid panorama, and boy, it's the time for it, ain't it? Oh, please. It has been in the making for some time, and we graciously invite you to join us in celebration for its public inauguration. Very excited about this uh, traditional 360-degree panorama with sound and light. Mm. Wow. We used to have those at Epcot Center. Yes. Yeah. In the more boring country. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that didn't have lots of attractions. But. Albania. <laughs> and if you can't make it down for the opening, it will be on view weekly, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from noon till six, or what we call MJT hours. And uh, where's that located, Kimmy? Why, that would be at Hoover and 24th, three blocks north of Adams Boulevard in the wonderful West Adams District. Mm, jinkies, that's in the old Union Theater. It is in the Union Theater. Whence I was wed. That's right. Nice neon restoration. Yeah. 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 We yeah. were sorry to see the old panorama get torn down, so we're really happy to see it rebuilt here down in West Adams. And finally, just a couple of esoteric bus adventures coming up towards the uh, late part of July. On July 21st, Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles, led by my own Richard Shave. And on the 22nd, John Fonte's Dreams of Bunker Hill, with a, also led by my own Richard Shave, with a new <laughs> part, um, a visit to a wonderful old age home actually on Bunker Hill, which includes some incredible vintage paintings of Bunker Hill as it was. And uh, the Fonte kids will be on board telling embarrassing stories about their parents, so that's always a lot of fun. <laughs> Learn about John Fonte, old Bunker Hill, and old L.A. And get out of the house, you crazy kids. Is it true that the Fonte kids, like, have a kooky van and then they, like, ride around in it solving crimes? Mm-hmm. Awesome. And they would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you meddling clowns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us, meddling clown. Uh, any sage advice for the uh, children out there? And Well, my big thing this Univac week, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, really, really pulled my chain. Tell you this right now. You know, I grew up in this great city. Well, actually, I kind of grew up all over. Well, all over the floor. <laughs> but I'll tell you, this week, I sat down to a, to a nice dinner at Izzy's Deli for a nosh on a plate of kosher dills and creplock. Well, I noticed at the table next to me a young, ready-to-be-choked Gen Y couple. She had ordered a high-stack pastrami, and he had a roast beef dip, complete with a fixin', I tell you, Fries, a little sling of coleslaw. But before I had sunk my teeth into my Yiddish delight, the couple got up to go. She leaving three-quarters of her meal, and he the same. You don't need a, need a crime clown to tell you that that's a crime. <laughs> There are thousands of men, women, children, and clowns out there going hungry for your wa your wasted food. Anorexic models and emo half-shirted boys, they need to go screw themselves. I'm telling you that right now. Fashion should not be of the edible kind. Save that potato for an after-run snack. Fried chicken is a great street hobo handout. Mm. And leftover pastrami, a rabbi's wet dream. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. 
Now take it home. Don't waste it. I'm telling you, it's just the crime clowns use this gross. I mean, this gross waste. You'll be. Ah, I'm, it's getting me so angry. I can't. I can't believe it. You're schwitzing. Ah. <laughs> Don't waste food. It pisses me off. And the next time a crime clown catches anyone out there, especially me, wasting and not taking home what's left on their plate, they'll be wearing it home. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Crimebo. Moment with Crimebo. Crimebo, you know, actually, that, that's interesting because, you know, last <laughs> at the last podcast, we uh, put out a call for people to ask questions of you. Oh, really? Philosophical questions, personal, relationship, career. And and we actually did get one question. Just one? Just what? Well, I didn't do the greatest job of telling people how to ask the question, oh, so it was a smart person. I'm so damn popular. Yeah, well, you actually have to go to 1947project.com, and you have to go to the contact form. So if you have a question for Crimebo, that's what you need to do. You send an email. And you, you ask your question, and, and like, like this young lady whose name was Catherine. Ooh. A Catherine. With a K. So you know you know she's not Jewish. Okay. Catherine had a question for you and it was actually about diet. Ah <laughs> I knew that topic would string something some of the time in Subanabalabadula. <laughs> so Catherine would like to know, and here's her letter. Dear Crime Bo, I'm a young girl, twenty years old, trying to fit in with my peers. However, I'm a little on the hefty side. Should I diet, starve myself, you know, go the Karen Carpenter route, or just be myself? What would a crime clown do if it was me and had my metabolism? Well, Catherine, I get asked this a lot. You know, I like the ladies. And I mean the ladies. I like them big. I like them small. I like them tall. I like them waist high. And you know, any way they come is just sugar in my coffee. So let me ask you, are you not fitting into the jeans that you like or not big enough to fit into the jeans you want? That's the question that you have to ask. If you're uncomfortable, if you can't run up those stairs or Stay on your knees for any length of time. You might consider making a change. But if it's working fine, then stay there. Because there's plenty of clowns and gentlemen. <laughs> I use that term lightly. Out there who are willing to give you a good time. So don't give it another thought. It's all about perception. And I have a large perception. <laughs> Bring it on! <laughs> and just to tell you, I like something to hold on to. <laughs> Catherine, aren't you glad you asked? And if anyone else has any questions for Crimebo, just go to 1947project.com, send an email, title it, Question for Crimebo, and you might hear your question answered on a future episode of the show. With that, I believe we have nothing else to say. Oh, God. Thank God I got to go home and scratch my ass. <laughs> <laughs> These things are better done in private. Thank God. I want to hear more about Rabbi's wet dream. That's what I Well, you guys can go hard. I'll regale you with that over coffee. Uh, Come on, right. kids. Prep lock. Miniature golf for everybody. Miniature! Yay! Yay!
Time toodaloo. I like putting the ball in the hole. Yeah, with a stick. <laughs> That's what she said. Bye-bye.